Hi, I'm Mango. And I'm Paul. And this is the Minute Podcast. If you give a mouse a cookie, I'm pretty sure he'd write a book. But give us 60 seconds of footage and we'll tell you where to look. With a concept this simplistic, it's hard to say if it'll last. But give us just a minute and we'll give you a podcast. The Minute Podcast. Great. Thanks for joining us for another week. As you probably know by now, the Minute Podcast is a weekly conversation where we get together and uh, discuss a listener-submitted minute of content that we haven't seen before and try to orient ourselves, come up with our own theories, and figure out what's going on. John's off this week, so we're joined by co-host Mango. Mango, say hello. Hi. Great. Mango, where are you joining us from? Um, I'm joining you guys from a friend podcast, uh, Some Derps Talk About Games. You can find us at somederpsplaygames.com. We talk about video games, uh, nerd movies, and uh, tabletop games. Great. Your podcast is a lot of fun, but we're not talking about games today. Mango, what are we talking about? Uh, today we're discussing a clip from Bringing Up Baby. Uh, Great. Yep, submitted by Katie Jane. Um, and this week, we have a wonderful new sponsor. Inedible Arrangements. Flower displays that appear to be fruit you can eat, but you actually can't. Need to make up for missing Valentine's Day again? Then go to inediblearrangements.com to order a dozen roses that look like a pineapple, daisies that look like a steak, or a fern shaped like 17 chicken nuggets. Visit inediblearrangement.com slash minutepod for a 10% discount on your first order today. But don't forget, they're flowers, not food. Excellent. I'm sure, I'm sure they've provided you guys with, with excellent sponsorship. Um, but the first order of business, I believe, is to uh, figure out our level of familiarity with this. And uh, personally... I have none. I have no idea what Bringing Up Baby is. You know, I have never seen this movie, but somehow I feel like I might have some sense of what it is. I have a good theory for what's actually happening here, which sounds so right to me that I think I might have some familiarity that I can't place. But let's assume I have none, because I, I've definitely never seen the movie, at least. I don't know. But quick intro to the scene here. Uh, the scene consists of a group of four people sitting around a table being served food and also a dog. And they're really just discussing animal calls. Um, there's no action that happens. They're just talking. Yeah, yeah Paul. Well, uh, do you want to do a script read for this one? Oh, I think we really should. There's some great, great noises we need to make. Um, quickly to say who the different characters are. We have Horace, who will be played by Mango. Elizabeth, who I will play. Susan, who Mango will play. And Mr. Bone, who I will play. So let's see if we can keep that straight. All right. Uh, let's do right. this then. Just picture it. A vast, mysterious silence, vibrant with life. Strange cries in the night. The... Good gracious, what was that? That was a loon, Elizabeth. Loon. L-O-O-N, yes. I'm sure that once you've got the jungle in your blood, I wouldn't be able to keep you out of it, you know. Susan, did you hear that? I didn't hear a thing. You didn't? Oh my. Horace, are you quite sure that was a loon? Oh, yes, indeed, Elizabeth. I've heard many a loon, and if there ever was a loon, that is a loon. Isn't it there, uh, Mr. Bone? No. Uh, hmm, uh, oh, well, then, what, what do you say it was? Uh, a leopard. Oh, don't be ridiculous. Major Applegate would know a leopard cry if he heard it. Why, thank you, Elizabeth. I'm an authority on animal cries. Now, you take the rogue elephant, for instance. Oh, excuse me, Major, you're right. It is a loon. Oh, thank you, thank you. 
The leopard's cry is something once heard you can never forget. Oh, yes, I know. Uh, mm, uh, oh, yes, you know. Thank you. Of course, it varies at different seasons. Let me see. Uh, now, what month is this? June. Uh, June? June. Well, it would go something like this. Mm, I just prepare for it, you know. Mm, now, let me see. Mm, there we have it. Excellently done. I think that was one of our best script reads ever, Mango. Um, let me get your initial take on the scene, though. What's the, the one thing that sticks with you out of this? Um, the awkwardness, I would have to say. Oh, super awkward. Yeah. Um, and I, it, it feels like it's on purpose, right? This, this isn't mm-hmm. a bad movie, right? This is, this is part of what presumably the comedy of the movie, right? Presumably, yeah. Um, but, well, let's talk about the awkwardness a little bit. Um, sure. who do you think is most awkward? Or having uh, the most awkward interactions? Mr. Bone. Absolutely. Mr. Bone, yes. And that, that features heavily into my theories later, but... I'm not sure he's there entirely of his own volition. I think he might have been coerced, and uh, he seems great. I think he's my favorite character. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Horace seems like a pompous ass, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, Mr. Bone is, is unafraid to to let him know what for. <laughs> yeah, what what would you say about Mr. Bone? Um, f- for me, he, he sort of looks like... I feel like I say this a lot whenever we watch uh, an older movie, but he looks like an accountant who shouldn't be in this situation. I think I'd agree. I, when I look at him, I, I see basically like Clark Kent um, mm, in terms yeah. of like styling. Uh, but, you know, very much kind of like that that era news reporter, accountant, big round glasses, very prim and proper. Uh, yeah. No, definitely. I think he he might be the most notable character visually. Um, the colonel, though. I think he's a Colonel Horace, or was he a major? A major. Major. I feel like he he sort of looks like Colonel Mustard a little bit, yeah. Yeah. No, I I was personally struck by by his vest. Um, oh his, yes. Uh, I had to look a couple times because the the jacket has the same pattern, but it's a little faded. But that vest is 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 so vibrant; it just draws the eye. It really makes me wish the clip wasn't in black and white uh, because I I want to know more about this vest. I want to know: can I recreate it? Can I get one? I feel like I don't I don't wear enough vests. No. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I was actually at the uh, Goodwill the other day, mm-hmm. um, and I, I was I was hunting for a vest, but I couldn't find one. But uh, lots of jackets in that kind of pattern. Uh, that's no. that's a uh, long lost era that I that I miss. No, definitely. Have you ever worn a vest that's the same pattern as a jacket? I feel like you don't see that much anymore. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I've ever actually worn a vest. So, who have I? Maybe. Anyway, we'll both write this wrong after the episode. We'll go get well vested. Now, the thing that struck me most wasn't quite the awkwardness, but this dog in the background, we should mention, is incredibly well behaved. Yeah, um, I actually, I, I, I keep looking at it, and for, I'm not sure, but I, I think it might be like, not digitally, obviously, because this is before that era, but it might be composed mm. in at some point because it, it looks. Oh. It looks weird. I I might just be like over analyzing it. You know, I I I'm no expert, but uh, the the edges look rough and it looks slightly in different focus than the rest of the scene. So I thought maybe he was he was digitally inserted for some reason, or not again, not digitally, but mm-hmm. um, using old film tricks that can do that kind of thing. You know, it that's seems like a lot of effort. It does, but he is 
he's really, he's sitting on this chair and you're right, he's in the background and slightly out of focus with the rest of the scene. So we may have a fake dog on our hands or a real dog inserted later. Interesting. But I think I've never seen a dog so well behaved that it would sit there while there were these various leopard calls and loon calls happening. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I feel like the calls were definitely added in later. Like definitely the major's imitation mm. is the clearest kind of post. Uh, that is true. Yeah. Do you think he made a sound on set when he did the leopard cry? I, ma- I imagine he'd have to just like, you know, kind of like how uh, Darth Vader's body double said the lines in his thick Scottish accent just so people knew their cues. <laughs> oh, you're probably right. Uh, let's talk about these animal um, calls for a little bit. I think the third one, the last one that we hear is the most interesting because of the visual we get of the major putting his hands together in this very precise way to leave this tiny opening and then holding it in front of his mouth and then completely ignoring it and opening his mouth really wide to make some sort of noise. Yeah. And, and, you know, the noise not matching anything that that would do. Um, no, I mean, I, I know nothing about animal calls, but that something about that looks like Hollywood mumbo gumbo. Yeah. Jumbo? Yeah. Gumbo, no, jumbo? Ab- absolutely. I, I think I'm with you a hundred percent there. I don't think, I don't know. I, I don't know what animal would would make you make your fingers like that but i don't think it's a loon (laughs) oh it's probably not Uh, oh let's stick with the major for a little bit here though um do you think the major ever talks about anything other than the jungle no uh he's he went to he went to to the jungle once on campaign or something (laughs) and he's been he's been living that moment ever since that's actually, that's in my notes as well, that I feel like he did study abroad in the jungle 23 years ago, and he like went on a two-hour jungle tour once, and now he's never stopped talking about it. Oh, see, I, I imagine, you know, as, as part of being a major, he like led some expedition into darkest Africa or something, because this feels like it's from the era where you call mm. it darkest Africa. Oh, uh, I think you're probably right. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Do you think he... Um, I'm wondering, is this the first time Elizabeth has heard this information? Because she's she's a very good sport about hearing about the jungle. Um, uh, you see, I I don't know. I at first I I imagined that uh that Elizabeth was like his his uh, wife or, or some such, but uh, mm-hmm. her interest seems to 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 indicate otherwise. Like I I get the feeling this is kind of like. The kind of interest that you show when you're interested in building a relationship with the person rather than having any interest yourself. Oh, sure. She's, she is very deferential yeah. throughout the exchange. Hmm. I wonder, what, what do you think their relationship is then? I, I mean, my, you know, like, I, I, my, my gut tells me that the, the, the cheese looking to, to get some of that, uh, uh, some of that jungle money, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, I don't know what that means, but I, I love it though. Um, jungle money. I mean, he seems like he's well to do, and you know, if you can if you can land. Uh, I ain't saying she's a gold digger, but she appears to <laughs> not be messing with no broke. Oh my. Uh, well, do you think this is his house? I was wondering about that. Um. I, so I, I actually kind of assumed that this was like a a country house that they all kind of rented together. They're all on vacation. Oh, that could be. Yeah. Although I wonder, do, uh, do country houses that you rent come with a, um, servant of some kind? Cause we, we do briefly see this fifth character mm. or sixth character. If you count the dog. 
Yeah, no, like, I thought maybe it was like a, a bed and breakfast that they all just happened oh, to be guests sure. at. Oh, sure. Oh, that's damn plausible. Hmm. Okay, well, thinking about the server a little bit, I'm wondering, this has to fall into that category of, like, weirdest things you've ever heard in your service industry job? Like, super obnoxious? People coming into I, your bed and breakfast talking about animal calls? I, I feel like if, if, you're a, if you're a server in this era mm. at a bed and breakfast, you get a fair amount of, like, braggarts talking about their weird... I, I feel like this is the, the, the equivalent of the guy who took a year to find himself and hitchhike through Europe and constantly talks about it. And mm. I'm sure that, that that's the kind of like person that, that, that goes to beds and breakfasts quite frequently. And she doesn't appear phased by it. Right. Like I, I can just imagine no, her true. rolling her eyes inside of her head <laughs> and just tuning it out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do, do you think the major's actually trying to get Elizabeth to come to the jungle with him? Cause he does mention, you know, once, once it's in your system, uh, but, you know, I, I I would have to assume so. I would have to, you know, that or he's he's playing it up like, you know, he's going to go again, but he never actually ends up going again. He just ends up spending the rest of his days reliving the the glory days in his office. Probably has an elephant gun above his desk that he takes down and stares at every once in a while. <laughs> and some small animal pelt that he shot with it. Mm. Shot a warthog with my elephant gun and this is all that's left. <laughs> Uh, just uh, like elephant guns are, are 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 heavy weapons, and I have to imagine it's this is like a pelt with just like a giant hole in the middle of it. <laughs> it's more hole than pelt, probably. <laughs> yeah, but he and... shot it. goddammit. it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm thinking a little bit about about the scene and the background that's going on here, Mingo. And and for me, there, there's not that much to talk about. I mean, was there anything that jumped out for you about the scene or the setting? Uh, the scene itself. Uh, not that I could say. I, I appreciated kind of the, the stone pattern on the walls, but that's not particularly interesting. I just thought it was neat looking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the only thing that I saw that I thought was interesting was the um, decorative or commemorative plates that are on the wall. In the back yeah. there, there's there's a set of them, and it makes me wonder, like, what what was happening in the world that people kept a lot of commemorative plates or decorative plates? Is that something that you've ever had in the house either your parents house or currently no but i've seen enough of it in like media to know that it was like a thing like but i don't know why well i was trying to think about that because it it shouldn't really be a status symbol thing because i mean it might not be cheap but it shouldn't be super expensive to get decorative plates and they don't take up so much room that you're like bragging by being able to put them on your wall I mean, what what kind of things do people get commemorative plates of other than royal weddings? That's the only thing I can think. Yeah, I, I have to imagine that they were done by some designer and sold by some salesman as mm. being something that's potentially worth value. Oh, I wonder, are we still in the era in this film of door-to-door -door salesmen? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I, when do you when do you think this movie is set? I feel like it's, I assumed it was commensurate with the date of filming, which in, it's in the title of the clip, uh, which is 1938. I assumed it was it was mm. modern for the era. Oh, that's probably true. And I, I guess that was still in the door-to-door -door salesman era. Yeah. I, don't know, I also never... feel like, no, go ahead. I feel like, sorry, go for it. No, I was just thinking, I've, 
I feel like I've never been door-to-door sold. And I'm wondering if I'm missing out on an experience there. So I I, I don't think I've ever been door-to-door sold, but I have had like like a a service come in to do something and it turns out that while they were going to say clean my carpets, what they were really Mm -hmm. there for was to pitch me, pitch to sell me the thing that they that they were cleaning the carpets with. So oh, interesting. I never had to call them again. So I think that's like the modern version. Hmm. But I feel like that's, that would be hard to pull off with decorative plates. You know, like, oh, you want to rent <laughs> fancy decorative plates for an evening? Um, huh. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like this was some sort of like an invented status symbol, right? Like, you know, Eleanor down the street had them, so you had to have them, and everybody who was well-to-do had them. You know, that could well be true. Do, do you think it's the sort of thing that you also used as a plate? Or is it just purely decorative? Purely decorative. In fact, I if like I, I feel like it's a it's a joke. It's a piece of media that I've seen that mm. the plates are actually made with toxic paint. So you so <laughs> eating on them is, is is not a good idea. And like known toxic at the time, not like discovered toxic afterwards. Like they're painted with lead paint or something. But like painted with lead paint paint in an era where you knew that lead paint was poisonous. Mm, true. Uh, Hmm. Well, if there's not too much to talk about in the background of this scene, let let's focus on the people for another couple of minutes here. Um, Mr. Bones' dialogue you mentioned before is incredibly awkward, which I like, but I feel like he's very nervous. Do you get that sense? I, I see. I want to say that that Susan or what what is her name? Is this a Susan? Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, Susan. Susan is. Uh, is super nervous and wants to make an impression for some reason. I feel like Mr. Bone doesn't give a shit. <laughs> I like how our interpretations of Mr. Bone are so different. I think that's going to make our theories really interesting. Um, to me, he seems like he's really nervous and is too nervous to think straight about how to answer the questions. Like, is it a, am I not supposed to say it's a leopard? Am I supposed to say it's a loon? But you, See, you, you think he just doesn't care? Yeah. Cause like he, he only says it's, it's not a loon after, after Susan, like, Hits him on the shoulders. Like, oh, get yourself together or whatever. Um, uh, but uh, th- that actually brings up something that I that I wanted to bring up is is I'm no animal call expert, but but I would think that a leopard call and a loon call would be sufficiently distinct that they wouldn't be easily confused. That just seems like a way out of left field call for leopard versus, you know, large <laughs> cat versus bird. You know that's a good point. I wonder if it's supposed to, if we're if we're supposed to know that, and it's supposed to indicate to us that Horus the major is just completely full of shit. Except that, if if I had if I had to guess between leopard and loon, which which one that call was, I'd, I'd probably guess loon. Right, I would, like I would think, yeah. Huh. But but I I I, I think you're right. I think that's got to be some some sort of piece of plot of the of of the uh of the humor of the film right like uh you know he the the follow-up joke is you know you you never forget the call of the leopard and then you know mr bone kind of instinctually says oh yeah i know uh and presumably he's heard the leopard before and he's right i guess is i don't know i assume that's the joke uh wouldn't it be great if this was not a comedy <laughs> that would be <laughs> That, that would be um, amazing. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, is there anything else in the scene that you'd like to bring up, Mango, before we jump into our best guess at um, how we got here and what happens next? Uh, 
Oh, just the the other kind of obvious like play here where Susan, you know, this loud you know animal cry happens and Susan's like, "No, what what are you talking about? I I didn't hear anything." It's, oh, that's right. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Which which is weird because they don't push her on it at all. Yeah. Would think yeah, if, I, if we were sitting together and there was like a car crash noise outside and you said you didn't hear it, I'd be like, wait, no, let's stop the conversation. What do you mean you didn't hear it? And, and it's also very clearly like, it's, it's not like Mr. Bones, like, I didn't hear it either. Let, let's say it drop. He's like, no, you know, like that, that's where the leopard line comes in. It's, I, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it just, I, I guess that's, I, I feel like that's supposed to be another joke. Like, I, I don't know. I feel like mm-hmm. we need. I, I need a, more information about the character of, of Susan to, to really understand the scene. That's no, true. It may be that Katie Jane sent us a clip with a lot of really well-baked-in jokes that we don't have the context for, mm. which I can respect. Yeah. Okay, but, uh, well, let, let's jump into our theories then, Mango. Do you want to go first, or should I? Uh, I'll, I'll go first. Cool. So, um, I, I've been spending a lot of time, you know, the, the only other piece of information besides this minute or so of cliff we have is, is the title, which is bringing up baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my thought is, is, uh, uh, Mr. Bone, uh, with such a weird name is, is the titular baby. And he's some sort of, uh, orphan bush child of some sort that doesn't know, doesn't understand, uh, uh, social cues. Oh, um, wow. And this, this is why he like knows what a leopard sounds like. Um, uh, and, uh, this is why he just kind of was like, oh no, it's, it's a, like, you know, just corrects the guy who you're supposed to give deference to and is very bad at the apology and, and doesn't understand all this. And also why he looks so much like a stereotypical accountant, right? Like he's dressed as normal as possible. So th- that's my theory is it, it's about, uh, humanizing a, the Bush child who is Mr. Bone. Oh, I love that. And it's just culturally insensitive enough that it could have come out in 1938 with no problem. Wow. Uh, okay. Well, I love that theory, Mango. What do you think happens next? What's your thought for the uh, rest of the film? Um, more hijinks involving Mr. Bone not understanding modern society, uh, and then eventually he falls in love with Susan, and they live happily ever after. Oh, so it's like a George of the Jungle type adventure. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that, that's, that, that's amazing. What's your, what's your theory, Paul? I'm I'm, I'm intrigued. I just I like yours so much better. I almost don't want to say it now. Um, so I think that these two main characters, being Susan and Mister Bone, um, have stolen a leopard, and it's actually in their car outside. I think what happened was Susan <laughs> had this plan to steal a leopard from a zoo, maybe to take it back to the jungle, maybe to sell it, and she met Mister Bone at some sort of mixer for you know boring old people, and uh, they. She tricked him, basically, into stealing the leopard with him, and now he's an unwitting accomplice, and they're visiting her, um, maybe it's her uncle, probably not grandparents, but not their parents, someone that they know but not that well, as they're, like, holdover point to escaping to the jungle. I don't know exactly how that's going to happen, but I think the leopard's in the car outside, and as soon as um, Horace does his leopard call, that the leopard's actually going to jump into the window or something. We're going to see this leopard responding to the leopard call, which I think the joke being Horace doesn't know anything about animal calls, but he accidentally does a perfect leopard call and summons a leopard. 
that, uh, that 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 makes a lot of sense, right? Because you know that explains why Susan's pretending like she doesn't hear the very obvious sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, it explains why the the jungle is is on is on the lips. Somebody probably said something about they're taking a tr- trip out to the jungle, and he's like, "Ah, the jungle! Let me tell you about the jungle." That, that makes a lot of sense. I, I like your theory. Paul. Well, and I like and I think lot. it it explains a little bit also of why Mister Bones like, no, it's that was a leopard. Because he knows it's a leopard, and he's just so nervous that he's a criminal now, when he used to be an accountant or, you know, something else. Yeah. Uh, I, I love when we have disparate theories on this podcast. Um, Mango, well then, do you think you can recommend this movie, uh, or either version of the movies that we've described, to the listeners? Um, you know, in, in, in terms of uh, of the movie I described, you know, I, I feel like it's it's always good to take a piece of cinema in the era that it was that it was built in. True. Um, and I, I am intrigued enough by this clip that I'd like to see the whole thing. Uh, I don't know if I can recommend it on a quality, but this this clip certainly stirs the uh, imagination enough that I would like to see the whole thing. So I'm going to give that a, a a soft recommend, I guess. You know, I, I think I'll I'll do the same. Um, as with most of the older films that we talk about here, they they always look pretty good. Um, they look like coherent movies with actors and actresses that I don't recognize, but, you know, as opposed to some of the newer stuff we see, they're clearly professionals and it's, it's a real movie. I think it's really funny. If either of our theories are right, it's probably pretty funny. So uh, yeah, I'll go a soft to medium recommend as well. Excellent. Awesome. Well, um, anything else that we should flag Mango before we do the outro bits? Uh, not that I can think of. All right, well then, a big thank you to Katie Jane for submitting this clip. We had a lot of fun with it, and a massive thank you to Mango for being our first ever guest co-host on the show. It was a pleasure to be here. Uh, Like I said before, if you'd like Mm -hmm. to see what I do, you can find us at uh, simderpsplaygames.com or soundcloud.com slash games. Uh, We talk about video games, tabletop games, and nerd movies. Yeah. It may have been a softish recommend for me on this movie, but it's a very strong recommend for Mango's podcast if you like any of those keywords he just described there. It's a lot of fun. So Thank you. Yep. If you ever want to support this podcast, though, you can submit your own minutes through our website. You can follow us on uh, Twitter at MinutePod, Facebook, find us on there somewhere, or just email us at theminutepodcast at gmail.com. This episode was hosted by Paul Reberg and Mango, produced by... Well, we'll see who ends up producing it. And theme music by Paul Reber. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Holy crap, you made it to the end. We'll be back next week to do it all again. Until then, be well and be sure to take a minute. The Minute Podcast.